remain standing as we hear from the God's Word this morning. We're going to be hearing from 1 Corinthians 13. And there is one passage or part of the passage that I left out, which I'll add. It won't be on the screen, but it's part of the sermon, so I guess we'd better read it. Let's look at this passage. This is the Word of God. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you a much lesser speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. And the passage I thought I left out is, it is not proud. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Um, as I was preparing for this Sunday, um, one of the things that kind of bothered me was uh, I'm having to open more bottles these days. Um, I, I don't know if any of you share this malady, but the older the get, the older you get, the more medications you kind of have to work through. And or uh, in in our case, we we actually start taking vitamins. I've never taken so many vitamins in my life. And one of the things I've noticed is when I go to open the bottles, there is this barrier. And, and I, I, I find it very frustrating because as I try to open the bottle, I can't open it without removing this, this what's called shrink wrap. Do you know what I'm talking about? The shrink wrap? And so the more I try to open the bottles with the shrink wrap in, the more frustrated I am because I can't get it open. And I learn now that you have to peel the shrink wrap. Well... That's great to learn that, but the only problem is, how do you get the shrink wrap off when you can't get your fingernail under it? And so I'll sit there for at least 10 minutes trying to open the bottle to get the shrink wrap off. And, and doing that, I'm realizing that there is a, a real principle here, and that is that shrink wrap is there to protect the bottle, but it also hinders me. And I think that that is probably what Paul sees happening in the Corinthian church as he writes this letter because if you go back to the first chapter, this is not a peaceful group of people. They all say they love Jesus, but they're fighting with each other because some say, oh, I follow Apollos, and another says, I follow Paul. And then, of course, the most righteous and holy among them says, well, I follow Jesus. And you go further in the chapter and you realize that God poured into this group of people, though they did not deserve it, gifts of the Holy Spirit that we would look at in awe today, like the gift of healing, where they would lay hands and pray on people and God would heal that person miraculously. And you say, well, that doesn't happen anymore. Well, I used to think so too until in our church that I grew up in, we had an elder who came to know Christ while he was serving on the session. 
And he was reading his Bible one day where it said, I should say Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, is anyone sick among you? Call the elders and lay hands on them and pray for them for their healing. And his wife was suffering from possible lung cancer. And so that Sunday, he was so desperate for God to move in his life that he asked the session, would you pray for my wife? They gathered and prayed, and she went back to the doctor, and the scan that showed a lump was gone. And everyone was like, well, how did that happen? Well, it must have been a mistake from the old scan. No, no, no. No, this was God. You see, God is a God who's at work among his people, but the problem is that we are his people, and we are not righteous and holy like he is. And just like the Corinthian church, you and I struggle with what it means to follow Christ faithfully. And that's why in the 13th chapter, Paul writes, I want to show you a better way, meaning I want to show you a way that God intends for us to live but let me tell you, this is not going to be easy. It's like the shrink wrap on the bottle. It's going to really take work and effort on your part to begin to appropriate these things in your life to live out what it means to follow and love Christ because it, it is a truth that John teaches in his first letter that you can say, I love Jesus, but if you hate your brother, the love of Christ is not in you. And so when you look at this passage, you begin to realize that, that the most amazing part of this, and I don't see the, the uh, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, the most amazing part of this is as you look at this passage, Paul is describing love is, but he's not giving adjectives, he's giving actions. He's not giving adjectives, he's giving actions. Go back to the passage and it says, love is what? It is patient. We talked about that a number of weeks ago. Love is kind. Love does not envy. And then this morning we're looking at love does not, love is not, bo love does not boast and it is not, uh, it's not proud. Well, well, what is he talking about here? Well, boasting is, is something that we think about today that we're not sure what we mean, and it's because it's a slippery kind of word. Uh, for instance, when you and I begin to think about most English translations, when you go to the Bible and you look at this passage and you look in different versions, you'll, you'll find that, for instance, in the New Revised Standard Version or the Revised English Bible, it says, do not, uh, not boastful. Not to say boast. The NIV is the only one that does that. The other, past, the other Bibles, like the King James and the American version, says, uh, does not vaunteth itself. Think, think of a, a vaulted ceiling. It does not vaunt itself. Well, what, what, is, what is Paul really saying here when he says, do not boast? He's saying, and it's interesting when you and I think of this word, because when he talks about boast, he's talking about a word that is so rare in his own language of Greek. It's and it's, it's such a rare word that it was rarely used in those days, but it doesn't just speak of being pri having, a, having a boast about your achievements. It is literally someone who is a braggart, who is a bag of wind. Um, Cindy and I were entertaining some friends who came 
uh, from Was uh, Washington, D.C. They were on their way to Florida, and he dropped in and worshiped with us one Sunday. And, and as he, he stayed with us for lunch, we were, we were furiously fixing lunch, and then we served the table. And I promise you, the guy did not stop talking for three hours. We didn't say a word. And, and as, as he was eating, he was talking so that even when he took a bite of his food, he was still talking about his work and his, what he was doing. And, and by the time it was over, I told my wife, I said, please don't ever invite John again. And she said, I didn't invite him the first time <laughs> because he was a bag of wind. He just kept talking about himself. He kept alluding to himself to the point we were just like, <sighs> I mean, you could literally feel the air of the house being sucked out as he left. Well, that's the kind of phrase that Paul is using here. He's saying if you really love the way, the, the better way that Christ is teaching us how to love, and by the way, none of us are perfect at this, are we? But it's something we aspire to. And he says if we're going to love each other as the community of faith, then we have to be careful that we're not a bag of wind. You say, well, I'm never a bag of wind. I'm sure you're not, but I can be. I find it interesting in looking at this term that uh, a, a scholar by the name of Braun in the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, and so y'all are wondering what that is. It's a great dictionary that helps you understand these words. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's available in our library if you ever want to know more. But Braun talks about how we are to understand this word in this way. He says, the emphasis of, of, is thus on the rhetorical and literary form of boasting, on the element of exaggeration, obtrusiveness, offensiveness, unsettlement or flattery or mere show as opposed to genuine character. Now, I was raised in the South, and that raises up all kinds of red flags for me. Have you all ever heard of passive-aggressive people? They say with their words lips that are sweet, but in their hearts they're, 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 they're full of daggers. You ever heard that? Well, that was what was happening in the Corinthian church. People were saying, I love Jesus. But when they would talk with each other, they were not genuine in their love for each other because they were always thinking of themselves first. Always. Quite frightening. The truth is that kind of, that kind of activity, that kind of practice wounds others. It causes unrest and discord in the church and re represents unfounded presumptions on the part of the one who's bragging. We say, well, wait a minute. How do I know the difference? Because boasting is not necessarily an evil. If you fill out a resume, you are boasting of your achievements, right? And so when you think about boasting, this is the thing that's amazing. Boasting or to boast and bragging are very similar in the context of the behavior that Paul is talking about. But in this particular way, boasting is self-promotion. It's affirming, it's asserting or talking about one's own achievement. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. 
you can boast about your life, about the experiences you've had and the things that you've been able to accomplish. You can even boast about your abilities in a way that are not braggadocious. Paul McCartney was being interviewed years, years ago uh, by a gentleman who was saying, uh, well, would you play this for this tune for us as we interview? And he said, sure. And he sat down on the piano and he played it beautifully. And the guy said, wow, you really can play the piano. He said, yes, I can play, I can play a, a number of instruments very well. And he said, wow, you, you seem like you, very, you, boast, you boast strongly about that. And McCartney responded, look, if, if I can do it, it's not boasting. It's simply declaring what I'm able to accomplish. Well, then when does boasting become dangerous? Well, that's where Paul really is trying to teach us. Boasting becomes dangerous when it becomes braggadocious. A student, a studious student, can boast about securing the top rank of an examination. A lawyer can advertise that he has a 90% success rate. He's not braggadocious. He does boast but he's not braggadocious. But bragging, bragging is a self-angradizement. Uh, self it is the act of making oneself appeal larger or more significant than they actually are with no foundation to substantiate that kind of claim. It is called self-exaggeration. It is also called fronting. Famous politicians that we know today in this nation are guilty of this. Those who plagiarize, take credit for others' work and use it as their own, that is braggadocious. And most, most apparently, uh, the, the thing that's frightening about this in the church is that a person can brag about having connections with important people, but they may actually be jobless. Or a schoolboy may brag about how many girlfriends he has when in fact he has none that are attracted to him. When you begin to really unpack this danger and you begin to see that boasting deals with self-promotion and bragging deals with self-aggrandizement, uh, the Dictionary Britannica talks about bragging or, or bragging in this way. It says that a braggart talks about himself or herself, achievements, family, etc., in a way that shows too much pride. And there it is, it. The boast of an achievement becomes braggadocious when our pride sticks its nose in. I had a friend in, high, in, in seminary where I was able to buy a coat. If you've ever lived in New England during winter, you probably need one. But I was able to save enough money to buy a coat on sale, and I wore it the next day. I was so, so glad to have the coat. I thought it looked so good on me. And, and I came up to him, and he said, wow, you've got a new coat. I said, yeah. I said, I'm really, really pleased with this. And he said, you know, it would look better on me. <laughs> I, I didn't know what to say. And he, and, and he kept harping about the cut of the coat and how, you know, on, on his body it was meant for him, not for me. And, and, and before long, I just didn't want to talk to him anymore. I was like, man, he just, he doesn't think much of me. He never talked about me. He talked about himself. See what can happen when pride begins to leak into our lives? 
When you go to 1 John, John, John writes there, he says that if we were to categorize sin into three categories, he would say it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Meaning we control our lives. God has no business there. I did that without any help. Hmm. What Paul is teaching is that love, that is the higher way, that is the way that Jesus loves us, is instead of talking about ourselves, our achievements, our families, that it enters with too much pride, that we are people who are called to be no longer self-centered, that love is not self-centered actions. You come to this church and and you have a favorite pew you, you like. You know, you come and sit in that pew every Sunday. And then you come one Sunday and somebody's sitting in that pew and you kind of go, who do they think they are? <laughs> it happened to us a couple of Sundays ago. So we were pulling in and my wife was, was parking the car and, and she said, oh, Charlie Weatherman took my spot. <laughs> I said, what do you mean he took your spot? Right there in front of the lamp. He's parked right there. And so I, we, I got out and told Charlie, I said, Charlie, guess what? You took Cindy's spot. He started laughing. <laughs> Evelyn was cackling. He didn't park there the next Sunday. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I thought, you know, isn't that just like us? Isn't it just like every one of us that somehow because we attend this place, because we come every Sunday, that we get this incredible, arrogant idea that this church belongs to me? No, 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 no. You belong to who? Jesus. In fact, you have nothing to brag about except that you belong to Jesus. That's it. Any other thing in the church is inappropriate. Why? Because it is a boast that bleeds over into a bracket, 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 a bragging that is based upon your pride that somehow I am important. I was talking with a gentleman this past week in a church. The church is in danger of closing. And he said to me, if it wasn't for me, this church would not be here right now. And I thought, oh, There's the problem in that church, isn't there? Mm. What a dangerous thing we do. What a dangerous thing. And Paul says, let me show you the higher way. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be so moved by God, if I could be so moved by God that I could remove my selfish pride from serving him? You know, the truth of the matter is when Paul says, let me show you this higher way, 
it is just not possible for me to boast and love at the same time. It's not. Why? Why can't I brag about my achievements and love in the way that Paul is calling me to love? That Jesus is asking me to follow him in, in applying and in, in taking action in my life. And by the way, like again, I said earlier, this description of love is about actions. It's not adjectives that Paul uses to describe, like the color of the carpet is red and the, and the walls are white. No, love has action. It is something that is activity among people. And he says it is not boastful, or it does not boast. It is not. It does not. You know, it does not have pride, or is not prideful. How then do I do this? How can I be a part of a community of people who love Jesus, and not destroy it by my selfish pride? Well, interestingly enough. When you look at this, if it's impossible for me to boast and to love in this way, the reason is that if I am boasting, that action wants others to think highly of oneself, whether deserving or not. In other words, if I am walking around telling you how important I am to this church, I, I am actually robbing Christ of his lordship in your life. I am displacing him in people's lives, in your life, in my life. But the truth is, when I seek to love people the way that Paul is teaching here, it cares for none of that, but only for the good of the community as a whole. Now here's the struggle in this church. We worship in a building that was built in 18. 56. We continually battle with the problem that we think the building is the church. The building is not the church. That is an Americanization of Christianity. What Paul is teaching us here is the power of the gospel is seen as how people live out their discipleship with each other in following Jesus Christ. And when the world sees this kind of love being exhibited among a group of people who are honest enough to say, I am being sinful and prideful and I need to stop it, the world takes notice and says, who is this Jesus you love? Who is this one who was crucified and raised? That's the power of that, isn't it? I will never forget years ago in an Amish community, a man who had mental illness went into a schoolhouse. Do you all remember this? And he lined up all the children and he had decided he was going to shoot every one of them. The community gathered, the police gathered, everyone was trying to figure out how do we defuse the situation. What was unknown until after it was all over was that the children who were in that school under arrest by him, being held against their will, began to come to him and talk to him about Jesus. 
And when he would not relent and he told them that he was going to kill them, the oldest children would come forward and they'd say, listen, shoot me, let them go. Let the smaller children go. You can, you can shoot me. It's okay. But let the children go. And the man was so unnerved by that that, that they were able to defuse the situation. They rushed the police in. He did shoot some people. And when I heard that, I got so angry. I mean, I got so angry. And I thought, let's, let's, let's string him up. The only problem was he was dead. They shot him. I thought, well, let's raise him from the dead and kill him again. <laughs> right? And the more I thought about that, the more I thought, man, I am just so angry. Wow, I was prideful. How dare he do that to Christians? And then the rest of the story came out. As the Amish community gathered and they began to pray, how do we respond to God who is sovereign? How do we respond to what has happened? It was not God's will that this man do this, but it certainly was within God's sovereignty that he will use it for our good. How then should we respond? Do you know what they did? They had a funeral for the children who perished and their families. And they gathered around them and loved those families. But then they also had a funeral for the man who did it. And they gathered around his wife and his children and loved them and had a funeral for him as well. And I thought, there it is. The love of Christ. Could you do that? Someone killed my daughter. Could you do that? Please don't misunderstand me. Paul is not asking that we become doormats. He is not telling us that we are called to allow people to abuse us. That's not love. But he is calling us to a higher calling. And that is we, we remove ourselves from the center of our lives. And we replace Jesus Christ. Who has no color. No, no background. Nothing to us except that he is Lord and Savior. And he is calling a people. Throughout the world into his church. And he is moving to save men and women from the judgment of their sins that they so richly deserve. And he did that for us too, didn't he? Paul ends this teaching very powerfully. Uh, he, he, he goes on and he talks about, and I, I won't bother with the rest of this passage because you have to come back next Sunday and the Sunday after that as we go through the series to uncover this. But Paul deals with this really quite powerfully. And he does so in such a way that he, he restates what he said in chapter 1 in verse 26 and through 31. Here's what he wrote when he was dealing with all the divisions in that church. He said, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called, that is called into believing in Christ. Think of what you were. 
not many of you were not many of you who were by human standards um, uh, not many were influential and many were of noble birth but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that, so that no one, no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, it is written, and he quotes the call to worship we had this morning in Jeremiah 9. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, that's the only way we can do it, isn't it? It's the only way. Is we begin to remember, if we can boast in anything, it is because God has called us. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, as we think about the, the living out of the Word of God in our lives, we think first about our families, our, our, our marriages, if we are married, our singleness, if we are part of a family. Uh, we think about what it means to love in this way, um, to forgive, to let go of bitterness and choose to follow the way of Christ. I, I, I don't want to be deceived or deceived anybody. Lord, this is hard. This is, this is requiring me to die to myself and to live for Christ. And there's a part of me that doesn't want to die. It's the old nature that's in me that drives my sinfulness. And so as I go through this passage, Lord Jesus as you work within your church to create us into the kind of people who give witness to the power of the resurrection, maybe, maybe God, there's someone else like me who looks at this passage and is beginning to realize that, that I take myself way too seriously. That everything about this church is not about me, it, it's about, about you. And who comes to know you? And who comes to love you? And how they're discipled in living that life. God of heaven, help me remember who I was before you called me when I never deserved it. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>